From APM, American Public Media, this is a special podcast edition of Wits. I am John Moe. Hello. Welcome to podcast. Coming up, an interview with comedian, writer, actor Andy Daly. Andy's been on Mad TV, Comedy Bang Bang, so many other things, Eastbound and Down. He was wonderful on that. Andy's Comedy Central show Review begins its second season this month. And in the show, Andy plays Forrest McNeil. And Forrest is a professional critic. And it's his job to perform any life experience that his viewers ask of him, such as what it's like to eat 15 pancakes, or what it's like to get divorced, or what it's like to then eat 30 more pancakes. Forrest does whatever his audience asks, and then he reviews the experience on a scale of one to five stars. Andy tells us that even pretending to be Forrest can get pretty intense. All of the experiences that Forrest is having are extreme experiences, so so that over the course of like a a 43-day shoot, most of those days are spent in panic mm-hmm. or in turmoil of some kind or another right. or in you know some extreme life event. That's comedian Andy Daly coming up in just a minute. But first, the Wits Mailbag. Actual questions from actual listeners or readers of our Twitter feed or people out there at the other end of Twitter handles. For this, we bring in senior producer Larissa Anderson. Larissa, can you hear me? I can. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're in the same studio after all. All right. So lay lay the first question on me. (laughs) All right. At Funkomatic asks, if the Wits crew had to form a sports team, what would they be best slash worst at? Okay. Best or worst uh, if we formed a sports team? I think we would be best at sheepishly asking each other what the rules to the sports were. We would be very, (laughs) very skilled at trying to get somebody else to do the actual physical exertion. Uh, And worst, we would be worst at uh, the sports, the sports themselves. I would be awesome at, um, if someone's talking, um, imagining the sound waves coming out of their mouth and like cutting them (laughs) as they're talking. you stare at, yeah. (laughs) Yes. I, I always feel bad that like so much of your job is just sitting at your desk listening to me talk. (laughs) <laughs> it's true. It would make me insane. All right, what's next? Uh, all right, at G Money Hustle <laughs> wants to know, what is the best flavor of Doritos and why is it Cool Ranch? Mm. It's Cool Ranch because Cool Ranch is more readily available than Taco, which is the uh, unheralded but secretly best uh, Doritos flavor. Uh, but Cool Ranch is good because the first time I had Cool Ranch Doritos, I was in a van uh, and I was Whoa. 17 years old and driving or being driven across the state of Washington to a debate tournament. And the debate <laughs> tournament was at the college where I was eventually going to go the following year. I was uh, I already knew I was going to this college. And so it felt like a little preview of of adulthood and the world beyond and like the next stage in my evolution as I as I went to this place for a little uh for a little preview of the actual event. And as I sat there staring out at the prairie of eastern Washington, uh, I ate Cool Ranch Doritos, and, and that's wow. why it's the best. So every time you open a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, you're instantly taken back to that van? No, no. Oh. Every time I open a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, I think, what am I doing with, uh, with here? I'm doing a horrible thing. I'm going to eat these disgusting, <laughs> delicious Cool Ranch Doritos. Well, good. Yeah. All right, what's next? At Casuso asks, hey, Wits Mailbag, I'm planning a vacation. How can I get the best deal on a ticket to the world and coming back again? Okay, so obviously that's a reference to True by Spandau Ballet. I bought a ticket to the world. 
And then I come back again. Oh, I I did not know. That's a deep cut. Yeah. I did not. I was not aware really? of that. Really, you don't that know line. those lyrics to? Okay. <laughs> um, I know one lyric to that song. The one that we sample over and over <laughs> yes. in our show. Well, so uh, what I think she's leading me up to here, and uh, you know, I I don't know. Go to a travel agent for world tickets and for coming back again. Just uh, you know, do reverse directions on Google Maps. But I think what you're doing here at Casuso is leading me into the worst lyric that's ever been written because it comes right after I bought a ticket to the world and then I came, then I come back again, then I came back again. The line is, why do I find it hard to write the next line? Oh, that I don't know. Is that worse than tight points hollering out? <laughs> I don't know. Hollering out? Tight points. Ti- on night moves? On night moves. What is it? It's not hollering out. Tight pants points. Time pants points. All around. I'm pretty sure it's hollering out. Yeah, I I don't think it is. Really? But the point is that that Gary Kemp from Spandau Ballet uh, wrote this song. It turns out he wrote it at his parents' house where he lived at the time and uh, wrote it about (laughs) Marvin Gaye. Uh, this was a year before Marvin Gaye died. For some reason, uh, he was writing a song about Marvin Gaye and also uh, sort of partly about his platonic relationship with altered images singer Claire Grogan. I'm sure you picked up on that right away. Yes, immediately. Uh, yeah, but uh, but he gets to this line, why do I find it hard to write the next line? And obviously, he was writing the song and thinking, it's so hard to figure out what to write next. And then he said, I know, I'll be clever and write down why do I find it hard to write the next line. And it's okay to have those thoughts, but it's never okay to act on them. We all get tempted to do something that stupid, but we all must restrain ourselves. <laughs> it's like he, he wanted to give people the window <laughs> to his process. Yes. I don't want it, Gary Kemp, <laughs> from your mother's house. All right, what's next? All right. At this Brianna Hope wants to know. What is your favorite fantasy animal and why? Uh, that's easy. The Aldo Novardvark. <laughs> what is the what's an Aldo? What? <laughs> okay. Are you familiar with the song Fantasy by Aldo Nova? Uh, early 80s <laughs> no. uh, glam uh, sort of glam metal solo artist. No. Life is just a fantasy. Can you live this fantasy life? It was his only hit. It was a song called Fantasy, and he was Aldo Nova. Can you sing a verse? Chorus? Uh, life is just a fantasy. Can you live this fantasy life? <laughs> And then he and then he played guitar, which went. Which I have to admit is a very creative solo. That's a really slow solo too. Yeah, but yeah. So when I think of fantasy, every time I think of fantasy anything, I think of Aldo Nova. It's just like a brain wiring in my head. So when I think about fantasy football, I just imagine Aldo Nova playing all the different positions. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, fantasy yeah. movies, uh, Lord of the Rings. I picture Aldo Nova with his guitar. So favorite fantasy animal, I immediately thought Aldo Novardvark. Well, it's Aldo Nova, but he's an aardvark. That makes perfect sense. All right. <laughs> All right. At Trevor Wagen. Trevor Wagen. Uh, he asks, consider the following. Bears are just large, bizarre dogs. Not actually a question, but I still respect it and will allow it. And I have considered it that they are large, bizarre dogs. Um, but unlike dogs, they will sometimes kill you uh, yeah. the, if, if a bear is, is big enough. I've, uh, 
I was camping one time in Montana and I and uh, or, and hiking. Uh, we were hiking along this this trail, and uh, in the far distance there was this meadow. And I thought, why is there a Volkswagen Beetle driving through a meadow? And it wasn't. It was a grizzly bear the size of a Volkswagen what? Beetle ambling through a meadow, maybe five hundred yards. Nuts. I, and I was with <laughs> I was with my wife who was had gone to school in Montana, and I said. What if that grizzly bear turned and just started running towards us? And she said, oh, we would die. We would. Yeah. <laughs> there's, yes. there's just no escape. But it made me think, okay, so a dog uh, in its right mind would not try to kill you. A bear would. So is the only thing keeping you from being killed by animals the size of the animal, if that animal is in fact carnivorous? Well, the temperament and... I mean, a whale wouldn't kill you. No. But a whale doesn't eat plankton. A whale eats plankton. It doesn't eat people. Well, there's a killer whale. Yeah, that's true. But the, <laughs> I think of that book, Blueberries for Sal, you mm-hmm. know, where the, the mom and the kid go off to pick blueberries sure. and then the mom bear and the baby bear go out to pick blueberries and then they get mixed up and the the baby is with the mama bear. Yes. And nothing happened. Nothing, nothing bad happens. happens. Yeah. Right. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. Don't fear bears. <laughs> Be sure to send in questions you have. Use the hashtag... Wits mailbag on Twitter. We'll find them. On the radio this week, our second episode with actor Colin Hanks and singer-songwriter Father John Misty, recorded live at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. You know, Colin, he's from the FX series Fargo. He's been in Roswell and Dexter. He's been in a lot of things. And he has a new documentary out about the rise and fall of Tower Records. It's called All Things Must Pass. It'll be out this fall, and Colin has been working on it for many, many years. Father John Misty's latest album is I Love You, Honey Bear, and he is such an incredible singer and a very funny actor, very good actor, as you'll hear in this sketch from episode 72, which is all about how the board game Monopoly got started. The Wits History Foundation presents Great Moments in Recreation. This week, the birth of the nation's most popular board game. The year is 1930. We take you to the executive offices of Parker Brothers. Good day to you gentlemen. My name is Walter Darrow, and this is my wife, Eunice. Hello. Darrow, huh? I'm George Parker, and this is my brother, Charles. Let's get straight to it, Darrow. We need a game for people to enjoy while they try to get through this great depression. Allow us to present Monopoly. In it, most players are driven to bankruptcy. It will remind people of the poverty and despair they're currently enduring. And you never know how long the game will last, but probably six hours. Mm, sounds promising, because who wants a game you could play in any reasonable social scenario? I see. So uh, who is the player in this game? Oh, anything. From a shoe to a thimble to a small dog to an iron. <laughs> we base the characters on the very first nouns that popped into our heads. You go around the board, and when you land on a street, you can buy that street. Now you're an iron who owns a street. Or a real estate baron who is also a shoe. You know, like in life. But what happens if my iron lands on a street someone else owns? Then they charge you rent just for being on the street, of course. And it all takes place in that familiar, beloved city, Atlantic City, New Jersey. You can own utility companies, too. You know how kids love utility companies. My grandchildren can't get enough of them. 
Now, you can also be sent to jail for no reason at all. Then let out of jail if you roll a double. Just as in life, when you're doing something twice, exonerates you of all crimes. It sounds like play money is a big part of the game. How is that money controlled so it's fair for everyone? The banker. The banker, yes. One of the players is entrusted with handling all the money. And since they're still playing the game, they have every incentive to cheat like crazy. It's unfair and frustrating. We will rip families apart at the very moment they're trying to have fun together. Yes, yes. I like what I'm hearing, but does it educationize? Does it ever. You know that thing in the real world where you can't buy a house until you own the street and all the streets that are similar to it? Yes, I'm familiar with that. It's in the game. I trust you have a feature where you never get taxed, but then can suddenly get taxed a lot. Arbitrary exorbitant taxation? Yes, sir. How is the winner decided? You're going to love this. It becomes apparent who will win pretty early. From there, it's several hours of going through the motions, or a player gets mad and flips the board over, ruining it for everyone. That's right. It's awful. Mr. and Mrs. Darrow, we will make your game. You have a deal. Oh, does Monopoly have a fun cartoon mascot? You bet. A banker with a top hat and monocle. The personification of all we hate here in the Great Depression. People pay money for that. Gentlemen, this will be the greatest game of all time. Harmar Superstar is the announcer. Colin Hanks as Walter. Christina Baldwin as Eunice. Josh Tillman as Charles. Me as George. That sketch is from episode 72, our second episode with actor Colin Hanks and singer-songwriter Father John Misty. It's a lot of fun. Go check it out. Our guest this week is a writer, actor, and comedian. You know him from his podcast, the Andy Daly Podcast Pilot Project. He was on Mad TV, Eastbound and Down on HBO. He's been on The Life and Times of Tim, Delocated, Comedy Bang Bang, Modern Family. His Comedy Central show review begins its second season this month. Hello, Andy Daly. Hello, John. How are you? I'm good. We got season two of Review looming on the horizon, right? Well, you don't mean it, Nick. It sounds so portentous. We got it's the a, storm clouds. You know, it's a good thing. We got the well, scourge <laughs> of review too. That's more like in. it. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Well, that's how we like to think about it. <laughs> uh, what's the premiere date for the the second season? July thirtieth. That's a Thursday. Coming at you at ten p.m. The, what what used to be known as the ten spot for fans of uh, MTV's Golden Age of programming. <laughs> okay. The the Church of Carson <laughs> Daly is out there. Uh, Ready to obey. Um, now, let, let's talk about how the show got started a little bit. Th- this was a show that already existed in Australia. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to sort of bury that fact because I'd like credit for creating it. So <laughs> Naturally. Um, you thought I'm this seething, up and then... I'm seething that you brought that up. And then planted information about it being in Australia after you thought it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was a, a show that ran in Australia for two seasons on one some you know one of their Australian TV networks. Yeah, they. It's a, it was an odd thing that they sold the format to an international format company, which is something that exists. Uh, and they shopped it. Yeah, isn't that odd? This is how a, a game show that gets created in Israel ends up being you know on TV in France. Oh, okay. You know, 
So anyway, they uh, this format company uh, brought it to Comedy Central, and Comedy Central was like, well, that's an Andy Daly show. And uh, <laughs> the magic happened. And uh, now when we left Forrest McNeil, your, your character, in season one, uh, mm-hmm. he, w- he was running away from society, and, and things looked awfully bleak, and like he may soon die or already be dead. But there is a season two, so is, is Forrest okay? Forrest uh, is okay. He had a, a major crisis of faith uh, at the end of season one, perfectly understandable given everything that the show put him through yes. and that arguably uh, he put himself through. Uh, and, but uh, he is back. He's back for more, and his faith in the show, in the enterprise, is renewed. Uh, and he he has once again come to understand his uniquely important role in society, reviewing life. Yeah. Now, for people who haven't seen the show, fill us in on on the the central premise. Who is Forrest, and what is incumbent upon him? So, Forrest McNeil is a man who has embarked upon this project to review life experiences. Anything that anybody asks him to do, he will do. It doesn't matter what it is. What's it like to be a racist? You know, <laughs> what's it like to uh, to have to experience road rage? He will do it to the fullest extent that he can, and then he'll, he'll rate it on a scale of one to five stars as a service to humanity, just to let people know, you know, do this or don't do that. And he truly feels that he is uniquely qualified to do it and that it is as high a human calling as could ever exist. Uh, so th- that's his sense of mission. Now, of course, we, we made the choice in our show, which was actually something that, that the Australian show did to a to an extent as well, that he doesn't just reset after each experience. They are cumulative and that they, mm. they have a true impact on his life. Uh, so uh, by the end of the season, all of, all of these extreme things that people have asked him to do have taken a toll on him. So, yes, he it makes perfect sense that he ran away. I'm, I'm curious about the story behind uh, pancakes, divorce pancakes, because to me that, that seems like if I'm going to put forward to somebody, this is what Forrest does on the show. Like somebody wants to know what it's like to get divorced. So he divorces his wife for the sake of the, yep. the premise of the show. Yes. Part of, part of Forrest's, he's very rigid about rules and he has this enormous integrity. So anything that anybody asks him to do, he doesn't feel like he can throw something back because it's too hard or it's too risky or it's too dangerous. Somebody wants to know what it's like to do this and and his calling is to help them. So yes, the question, what is it like to divorce your wife is horrible. What a horrible thing to have to do for a television show. But there's no doubt that he'll do it. (laughs) Well, but (laughs) why why can't he just turn it down? Why can't he say, no, this is just a show. I uh, like... This is what's interesting to me about this character. He will put the show above all other things in his life. Well, because it's that important. And if you think about it, if he can throw that one back, well, then where's the line? Right. Where do you draw the line? Slippery about slope. About what you can throw back and what you can't. Exactly. Sure. Sure. So, you know, yeah, he's got to do them all. Because it doesn't sound that much fun. You know, what's it like to go to an orgy? You know, that sounds like that really confronting, but he's, you know what I mean? Like if he's going to throw out divorce, he's not going to go to orgy and then we wouldn't have the wonderful, memorable scenes uh, that we saw there. But uh, so, yeah, so, so the story behind that one, the Australian version in their second episode, they did that one. That was one of the segments that we borrowed from there. And, and it was the thing that when I watched it, I said, I want to do this show because it's, it can get that dark and that serious for this character and that real for him. 
So we knew we wanted to do that. And I don't know where the idea came from. I, I, I think it was uh, to pair something moronic with something as heavy as divorce was the original idea behind 15 pancakes. And then at some point, someone in the writer's room suggested that, you know, it was like, so what does he do after that? Well, how about 30 pancakes? <laughs> What's let's eat 30 pancakes. <laughs> and then the idea came about that 15 pancakes was going to be the hardest thing he'd ever been asked to do and was going to bring him to the brink of a total collapse. Yeah. But 30 pancakes would be a triumph. <laughs> it is it is triumphant. Now, how many of those pancakes did you eat while you were filming? Um, we had a spit bucket next to me on the uh-huh. seat so that anytime cut was called, I just emptied my mouth into this bucket. Oh, That's the glamour of show business for you. Uh and I really, uh, watching it, you you can't quite tell that I, I put a piece of pancake in my mouth and then I chew and chew and chew and then it tends to cut. Uh-huh. Uh, so there is not a lot of swallowing. I believe that over the course of that whole day, I probably ate one full pancake oh, only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Yeah, but the amount of Aunt Jemima syrup I had in my mouth <laughs> over the course of that shoot... It was gross. Another thing that that's carried over, I think, from season one after after season one wrapped up, uh, a phrase that I see on Twitter a lot that I even hear muttered by people around my office here is <laughs> "they're all is aching." Yes, which was the title yeah. of one of the shows, and and I remember uh, I I emailed you right after that aired because I just I loved that episode so much, and you said that there was a lot of worry that that even. Even in the context of the show review, they're all is aching might have been too weird of an episode. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the ones that we we wrung our hands over the most because uh, it is it's real weird, you know. So Forrest is asked something that makes no sense. They're all is aching, and <laughs> as you know, as we've established, not even he really will do a whatever question. he's asked to do. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it doesn't make any sense. But he will do. He'll do it. It doesn't matter what it is. He will do it. And so he goes out to have an experience of they're all is aching, trying to interpret what it means. Uh, how how to experience that exactly. Right. And it drives him crazy in a very short amount of time. Other people assume he's crazy. He ends up in a mental hospital. And then we did something in that episode that uh, uh, it's very unique. The the voiceovers, you know, are we understand that Forrest has recorded these after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. Um but that's that can be challenging sometimes because it can take you out of the moment that you're watching. If you know that after the fact, he, in a more sane and sober condition, uh, was able to comment on it, it sort of diffuses some of the tension. Yeah, that that is going happening. to be okay no matter what. Right, because we know he came out of it because he told us he's telling us about it from the future. <laughs> but so in that piece, we tried a little something where when he is in the full depths of his madness, the voiceovers sound like that too, which was believe it or not, you can't imagine the the debates that <laughs> the internal <laughs> arguments, the internal debates during editing on that one uh, were tough. Oh man! But yeah, we were worried that it was too crazy. But I think it's. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Well, it's not because it's not the most knee slapper of of comedy. Like it's more like a what part of the woods have I been dropped into kind of a thing. Yes. But I'm also very proud that in the end, it turns out to actually make perfect sense. It was a grammatical error. Yes. And so they're all is aching is actually the real Lisa Ching. 
who uh, <laughs> that was the person asking the question. Yes, not the not the thing that they were asking. So. <laughs> Yeah, it ends up making sense. They're all is aching. Yeah, I, I know with uh, with my wife and with uh, some some friends, like whenever we just get into a situation where we don't understand what to do, somebody will just mutter, they're all is aching. <laughs> That's just the, the catch-all. Well, do you, do you as an actor find it uh, easier or tougher in this role? Because this is a guy who will do anything, but he doesn't, like his only motivation is to do what he's told. So, so you're reacting to the circumstances that Forrest finds himself in, but, uh, but it's not like he's trying to decide the best way to go because he has no opinion in that. Yes. But I, I, I mean, what's challenging about it as an actor is that uh, all of the experiences that Forrest is having are extreme experiences. So so that over the course of like a 43-day shoot, most of those days are spent in panic mm-hmm. or in turmoil of some kind or another right. or in, you know, some extreme life event. Uh, there there are very few scenes that are that are mellow. Um, that That's sort of the greatest. But as far as like Forrest's... Um, internal motivation so you're you're sort of positing like because the motivation is so external is there an internal motivation for Forrest? yeah or yeah i mean are you is it mostly just sort of reacting to the the things that are that are placed in front of you um yes but i i that that as an actor doesn't seem to pose too much of a challenge only because for forest is so he he is so internally motivated to do this show and to do it justice and ha- and more and more over the course of season 2 especially Forrest's commitment to rules and uh and and order in his own universe seems to be very very important to Forrest and seems to be an animating principle that answers the question why are you doing this because there he needs some order to the world and and he's established the rules and the parameters of this show and so being true to that is desperately important to him uh, but also along the way there are certain certain things he's he's trying to find love uh there, there's the world of his relationships that also motivate him. So you get to play all of that stuff. Oh, man. This is going to be so great. I'm <laughs> looking forward to this. <laughs> Do you find that, uh, you know, you're you're a nice guy, you're a friendly guy, and you often uh, seem to play characters who are nice guys who get caught in bear traps, who just get caught in, <laughs> in, in, in desperate and terrifying situations. Uh, why, do you, why do you think you end up with so many of those roles? I, I think just people love to see, uh, just love to see the unexpected, love to see a reversal, love to see a confident, happy guy uh-huh. get hurt. <laughs> it's the last thing that you expect to happen to somebody with a big, broad smile and dimples who seems like they've got everything going. Yeah. Uh, to see somebody like that end up in a ditch is uh, surprising and, and strangely enjoyable. It, it uh, is satisfying because when you see somebody happy and optimistic who seems to have their act together, you know, you sort of think, well, yeah. what I want them to not have that. <laughs> I want to take that away from them. <laughs> exactly. And also, Forrest has certain traits that... Uh, Help you not feel entirely bad for him. He's awfully passive aggressive. He's uh, he definitely puts his work above others <laughs> in many many ways. Yeah, uh, he he seems a bit selfish. 
So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, enjoyable to watch him fall, I think. Now, uh, Andy Daly, we uh, on Wits, when when one day you you come to St. Paul and, and appear on our stage show with our full yes. audience at the Fitzgerald Theater oh, and all uh, that, we, we we often play games. We'll do some some games. But I. I, I, I'm looking forward to that so much that I've jumped the gun and I've, I've got a, a game prepared for you here uh, to play yes. if, if you are ready. So I was thinking. I love games. Games are the best. So uh, I took the name Forrest McNeil and I cut out the muck from it. And so I'm left with Forrest and Neil. I will give you a series of names. You must tell me oh if it is the name of a forest in. New York State, which is the state in which you were born, uh, oh, God. or is it a famous guy named Neil? Oh, I feel like I'm going to be great at this. Okay, so I've got ten of them, and because uh, these are two areas of my expertise: yes. New York State forests and guys named Neil. And guys named like Neil. if I was going to choose two topics to be quizzed on, that would be right. Good. Well, yeah, I think you may even have a degree in these. Um, <laughs> all right, first up, Forrest or Neil Buckton. I'm going to say uh, there's got to be a guy named Neil Buckton. But is he a famous guy named Neil Buckton? Uh, not that I know of. You're talking, you must be talking about Buckton Forest. Buckton Forest is correct. That is a forest. <laughs> next all up. All right, all right. Next up. I get it. That was a warm-up. Hamilton. Hamilton Forest. I'm sorry. Neil Hamilton played Commissioner Gordon on Batman. So uh, God, I'm bad at this. I know. Well, no, you know, you, oh you still have time. Eckersley. Eckersley, Neil Eckersley, British That's judo champion. That is correct. Good job. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Does that count as famous? Uh, British judo champion. He's got a Wikipedia page, so that's right. good enough for me. Yep. Hogsback. I would feel so bad for a guy named Neil Hogsback that I'm going to have to guess Hogsback Forest. Hogsback Forest is in the state of New York. You are correct. Uh, Outstanding. Moving on, Basswood. Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I feel like this could be a trick, but I'm going to say Basswood Forest. Basswood Forest is correct. Yes, there is no famous Neil Basswood, according to Wikipedia. Shown. Um, Neil Schoen, the, the famous uh, <laughs> uh, British judo expert. Neil Schoen is not a British judo expert, but uh, is he a person or is he a forest? A forest. Now you're, I feel like you're leading the witness. Neil Schoen forest. Neil Schoen is the guitarist know. for Journey. Wow, I'm I know. Terrible at this game. Didn't you go to Journey this shows? Is, this, is, this is a disaster. Didn't you ever have a girlfriend in the 1980s? I never did go to a Journey show. Okay. Uh, no comment as to whether okay. I had, Yeah, I had a girlfriend in the 80s. Okay. <laughs> Next one, Cavuto. Oh, Neil Cavuto and Cavuto Forrest. It's a trick question. <laughs> no, I know. I'm familiar with Neil Cavuto. I've heard that name. Okay. He is a Fox News commentator, Neil Cavuto. Yes. Elkdale. Elkdale Forrest. Gotta be. Elkdale Forrest is correct. Degrasse. Well, you're not going to give me the Tyson? Neil, That's a Neil. Neil Come on, you got to give me the Tyson. I'm not going to give you the Tyson. <laughs> Neil Degrasse. Person? Yes, person. Degrasse Forest in New York Ooh. State. 
And then I should have known when I didn't hear the Tyson. And then finally, DeGrasse Tyson. <laughs> I'm going to say Forrest just to keep with my general incompetence. Well, still, close none, it out. nonetheless, you've got six out of ten. You are a winner in today's game. Seriously? Yeah, you That's got six out of ten. Nice work. Andy Daly, the second season of Review on Comedy Central is coming July 30th. Andy Daly, thanks. Thank you so much. That's all for this podcast. Only Wits. Corey Shreppel is our technical director. Larissa Anderson is senior producer. Peter Clowney is executive producer. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Bye now.